You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jason from Two Sides of Fi, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what I don't understand at all? This idea that people are afraid to retire because they don't know what to do with all that free time. All I have to do is look at my own morning. I woke up today around 5 a.m. After a quick breakfast and 30 minutes of exercise, I settled into prepping for this episode. After driving my daughter to school, it was back to the office for a few hours of writing, then lunch. Then I'm doing what I'm doing now, recording an episode. After that, I have an episode to edit and a virtual Friday happy hour to attend. I couldn't possibly fit more into my day. How did I have time to work in the first place? How do you? Jason is a retired scientist and biotechnology executive. After working for 23 years, he achieved his FIRE, financial independence, retire early goals, and left the workplace. He now pursues a variety of interests, including travel, cooking, brewing beer, and writing on the next phase is now blog. He is also co-host of the Two Sides of Fi podcast. Jason, welcome back to Earn and Invest. I want to relay the process of setting up this episode interview with you When I tried to schedule, you wrote me back in an email. Okay, sounds good. I'm taking a class on Tuesday, Thursday from 10.30 to 1 p.m. each week. So unfortunately, that won't work. September 5th is pretty full for me, as many Tuesdays are also. Talk about your schedule nowadays, because I found that when I try to schedule interviews for people who are working traditional jobs, it's like the easiest thing in the world. And yet when people are retired... I actually go back and forth on emails trying to find a time, and it's usually more difficult. Are you busier nowadays than when you were part of corporate America? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Doc G, for some weeks, it definitely seems to be that. And and in the summer in particular, I don't know, it seems like even more than usual. But, uh, you know, I definitely have this natural aversion to being scheduled these days, and, and maybe we can talk about that. But for sure, I find that I have no... Uh, shortage of things that I want to fill my time with. And it's not some like mad race to like occupy every minute. I've just got this list of things I enjoy doing. And a few of those are scheduled. And a lot of those are just based on how I feel on a given day. Yeah, it's funny. It's this idea. And I found this myself too, is I'm busier, maybe even busier than ever, but less stressed, which in my work life, it didn't work that way. 
No, 100%. I, I would absolutely say that. Uh, and if there is any stress, inevitably, it's it's me putting it on myself to <laughs> achieve some goal by some time. I think that's the biggest thing. I suspect you agree. It's the, it's not a, a pressure coming from externally uh, to, to do something, do it better, you know, set a time. It's it's me setting ambitious goals for myself and trying to do too much. Yeah, I, I would agree. I want to get back to this idea of time management and what you do after you've retired. But before we do, tell us a little bit about your work life. What did you retire from and how long ago was this? Yeah. So three years ago at uh, 47, I'm 50 now, uh, I retired from a 23-year career in biotech. Uh, Depending upon the point in time, it uh, ranged from working in kind of developing life science tools to, at the very end of my career, diagnostics. Um, and, and what a time in 2020 to retire from uh, from laboratory diagnostics. But uh, yeah, I did a variety of different roles from pure R&D through uh, commercial leadership, depending upon the point in time. And uh, yeah, three years ago, I walked away from all of it and since then have been uh, living the fire life. Why did you walk away? Like, that's not something most people do, especially kind <laughs> of in the startup and tech world. People are kind of in it to win it, and they're often in it for long term. Tell me about deciding that retirement was a goal, first of all, and then pursuing it. Yeah, it's it's an excellent question. I do get it a lot. Uh, It certainly wasn't spur of the moment, nor do I recommend anybody just step away from their career without a lot of forethought. But you know, I the way I tell it, uh, the first couple jobs I had, and I, I went to a startup right away, and followed that up with a, a very large multinational corporation. And in both of those experiences, I came to the same conclusion, which was, I loved what I was doing. You know, working on developing technology and life sciences. I'm a molecular biologist by training. However, I knew that I wanted to do something different. Whether that was start my own company is what I thought in the beginning, or you know, work for myself. And then that thought evolved in job number three, uh, where I met my now wife, and you know, we started talking pretty early on about this idea of not wanting to do this, meaning the normal work, you know, method and duration. Uh, and we were really aligned on that. And that, that thought kind of took form, you know, over the progressive years to wanting to retire early. And uh, our, the first goal we set putting a flag in the sand was 55. I don't remember how we set that number. Uh, wasn't based on anything that I recall, but uh, at some point, you know, as numbers started to crystallize much later in my career, I, I set a firmer flag in the sand of 52. And then due to the market doing market things, um, you know, my salary increasing and compensation increasing faster than I thought, some equity, suddenly I was able to do it much sooner. Uh, that 12-year bull run did not hurt. And it allowed me to uh, make the decision to finally uh, set a date one year prior uh, to uh, when I did. So I, I achieved FI at age 46, financial independence. And then one year later, I had set my date basically to retire. I, I want to point this out because I think it's really important. A lot of people get into the financial independence, retire early or fire movement because they hate their jobs. Yet, as we talk here, it hits me that you rather enjoyed your job. I did, and I and, and I I will not uh, misrepresent the fact that at times it was stressful. I spent a lot of times uh, on planes and uh, traveling for work, especially in the last ten years of my career. And the hours were not always delightful. Something I suspect you can certainly identify with plainly. Uh, it's not it was not a nine to five career. But on the same note, 
it was very rewarding. Uh, and I don't mean compensation wise, I mean, fulfilling, um, felt like I was doing good work. And in some years, certainly very important, impactful work towards human health. When it comes to working on diagnostics, I loved working with smart people, developing really cool technology uh, to, to term it that way. And, you know, I was motivated by all of that. On the same note, I did do what I could to make sure that I got the most out of that personally, meaning I followed what what my show partner, Eric, terms a career leveling up strategy, right? How quickly can I build my pay and, you know, advance in, in uh, you know, kind of level uh, and in position. But yeah, I actually did enjoy the majority of the time I spent working. So your show partner, Eric, is pretty clear that his entry into the FIRE movement was actually you. What was your entry into financial independence retire early? Yeah, I mean, certainly the the nucleus of it was what I said. It was really just an alignment with my partner at the time, later wife, on this being something we wanted to do. I, like many in, in our age bracket, I, I think is fair to say, didn't know that there was a fire movement until rather late in the game, certainly in the last 10 years of my own journey. And then, you know, became aware of the the tools that were available, all the people who had done all this financial modeling, um, you know, on Reddit and other forums, you know, so I would say I certainly became aware of the community fewer than 10 years before I crossed the goal line. Was it Reddit that was your entry? Or do you remember the specific piece of content that you read and said, hmm, now there's an idea? I don't. I wish that I did. I, I was a pretty voracious uh, consumer of podcasts uh, at that time, given my commute that I had. I had a very typical Silicon Valley commute the uh, last 10 years of my career after I moved to California. And so listen to a lot of financial podcasts. And I suspect I stumbled across it that way. But uh, it certainly could have been read it. So you got to this point at 46 where you're like, okay, I'm financially independent or I'm close enough. I can start planning for actually taking the step in when you turn 47. Was there a moment of psychic crisis? I mean, was it ever, was there ever this moment of, oh my God, I'm actually going to do this. Should I do this? And what, what, what is my life going to look like afterwards? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And and I don't think any of us can spend too much time thinking about what comes next. Uh, you know, I suspect you would agree that's that's where the effort is is best spent. You know, a lot of us focus on the numbers and how do we get there and am I really there? Um, but the the what do I do next? Certainly something I thought about a lot. I think for myself, given the age at which I was doing this and how long I had been working towards that goal. I, I would say it was certainly a minority of time that I had concern or, or any, you know, thoughts of, you know, being worried about doing it and, and potentially not pulling the trigger. I, I will say in full honesty, I ended up extending my uh, work period by about three months. And that was largely because of the work that we were on working in COVID diagnostics at the time. It didn't really feel uh, appropriate to step away. That may have given me a little more kind of psychological buffer to really kind of think through as I was working remotely suddenly and, you know, really thinking about what it was going to be like. And, and in some respects, I think it helped me to suddenly not be with my colleagues day in and day out like I was being over Zoom as you and I are here today having this conversation. Um, it made me feel a little, understand a little more what it feels like to, to not be in the office. Yes, I was working. Yes, I was keeping a schedule. But I like to think, and I think I'm right, that it did help me. But sure, I'm not going to lie and say I was with 100% confidence. I had 
I'd certainly have my times where I thought about, you know, is this the right thing? You know, I'm stepping away from the peak of my earnings, as most people do when they retire early, right? Is one more year sensible here? And I wouldn't say I dwelled on that. I never got to the point where I thought, yes, I'm going to do this. Let me go air that idea with the family and make sure they agree. Um, I think it was a mix of just being prepared for it, having thought about it a lot, having talked to my wife about it a lot and and her being very supportive honestly of me stopping this schedule that I have been keeping for so long that you know I would say it was it was certainly at least 90-10 in terms of being very positive and very excited to get there you know it's funny because if there was any bit of crisis it sounds like it was fully an economic one like could I do better with one more year should I step away from this high salary etc but I feel like that leads me to then ask the very, very cliched question, were you retiring from something or to something? Yeah, I I, um, I thought about this recently. So, so let's see if I can recall uh, the kind of thought process. I, I think in in many respects for both my wife and I, it was a, it was a to something. Um, she might have more of the from than I did. And that was mostly because, as you know, she described it, you know, you carry a lot of stress, you know, you, you've got a lot of deadlines and, you know, I've kind of watched you go through this and I look forward to you not doing that anymore. For me, I think I was so accustomed to the way I worked and, and, and enjoyed so much of it that I, I guess I mentally overlooked a lot of uh, the, what kept me so busy and preoccupied to be, if I'm being honest. Um, I think for me, I, I spent most of my time thinking about all the things I was going to be able to do. Some of them very silly. And I wanted to cook certain dishes that I had never gotten to because the idea of spending a, an entire day on a recipe like a like a mole negro was something I just never did. And and within weeks of retiring, I, I did. You know, wanting to take classes, wanting to travel more, all of that. And so I think I was so excited about that that I think. I would be dishonest if I didn't characterize it almost entirely as a retire to something for me. Did you schedule a rest period? Like, were you already jumping into things in the first week or two? Or or did you put weeks or months together where you said, okay, I'm going to do a lot of nothing for a little while, just yeah. decompress before I jump back in? Well, that was the intention. And I love that idea. There was a <laughs> downside to extending by three months. And that's because, uh, you know, at the time I retired, we were living in a very high cost of living area in the Bay Area in California. And we had planned to move and were in the process of, you know, you know, buying a, a home a few hours away from where we lived um, when I suddenly extended my time. And so what that meant is the clock changed in terms of the duration I was going to have between stopping work and moving. And that ended up being just a few weeks. So the downtime didn't happen right away because we got, you know, as as many people can identify, it takes a lot to pack up a house, move, get into a new one, do whatever prep work you want to do or renovation to get it ready and then actually move and get settled. Now, I did go through a period where I did less in the beginning for sure. Um, and still being in lockdown when we moved. That also kind of was naturally part of it. I, I was at home more. I, I did get out and take a lot of walks and hikes where we were able to, but I definitely didn't start filling my time right away. I feel like that took me around six weeks or four to six weeks before I started to do more and more and more. 
including some more elaborate cooking uh, and, and some learning. Uh, I started learning uh, iOS app development, you know, for iPhone during that at the end of that period. But I definitely took some time where I caught up on some shows, some books, and uh, just got out and, uh, you know, kind of reflected. Do you remember the first thing you signed up for that you actually had to attend or you felt I have a responsibility to carry through with this thing? And I'm not talking about like, so you moved, so you obviously had responsibilities from moving, et cetera. But at some point you had to say, I am now going to choose to schedule myself to do something, right? Yeah. Do you remember the first thing you scheduled yourself for? Boy, that's a good question. I really have to think about this. It's it's one of two things. If I'm right, I think it was um well, I can't count the I can't count the sort of Udemy and Coursera stuff because that was on my own schedule, but I think it was scheduling regular time and this took a, it was within 6 months. Regular time to work on uh our nascent uh, YouTube channel and podcast idea that became two sides of five. And that was, you know, weekly filming at a certain time because my partner is still working, of course, and has a very full schedule uh, by comparison. And so it was that that Tuesday, you know, doing that in Tuesday afternoons. And then before a new episode would go out, I had my responsibilities beforehand. And so that became the first regularly scheduled stuff that I recall. And this gets back to this idea of retiring from versus retiring to. Was that in the back of your mind when you retired? Like, I'm going to do this cool YouTube, possibly podcast thing with my buddy, Eric, or did that kind of happen after you left? It happened after. I Hmm. had not thought of that kind of content creation. I mean, like many people, my sort of, you know, I had thoughts of someday writing a book, but it wasn't about financial independence. Um, That was never a thought. Honestly, that idea came from a phone call. It was rather organic. Uh, my my friend Eric has a very successful you know business on his own, which includes a YouTube channel. And um, you know, as you talked about, we were discussing fire already. And at some point, I, I believe he suggested it, uh, the idea of us doing something together on the topic. And it came from out of nowhere, as I recall. Did you feel like leaving work changed a lot in your life? Like, did your stresses get better? Did you take a, you know, big sigh of relief? Ha, I'm free. I mean, was it that drastic? Or did you find that you were kind of still the same person after retiring? Some of each? I mean, certainly, I feel like I'm the same person. Um, I I maybe thought there would be more changes. I think the changes I noticed in it, and it took me six or so weeks to realize this. I actually remember writing about it and, and blogging was something that I also started to schedule fairly all early on and may have done that uh, actually before the YouTube channel, just as for no particular reason other than to just capture my thoughts. But I realized that I was missing things about work that were wholly unexpected. They were very intangible things like feeling valued and the validation of, you know, work being uh, achieved and appreciated, uh, developing talent, right? I, I, you know, mentored uh, a number of people, some of whom were direct reports, some of them were not. All of that was gone. And I, in all of my thought and preparation that I thought was so extensive for retirement, I hadn't given any thought to all of the intangible things I was going to lose from work. Also, including which relationships were going to drop off 
some almost immediately and some within a matter of months, you know, you're texting the same people, you're calling them because you moved away and that the responses start getting shorter and fewer and you learn pretty quickly, as many have pointed out, who were just acquaintances through work. And after you lose that thing that you had to identify on and with together, it just evaporates. So another totally unexpected thing, but perhaps uh, (laughs) given the accounts I've heard from others is not at all surprising. After the break, I want to talk more about things like purpose, because I think we're definitely headed in that direction, actually, as you're talking about relationships and projects and kind of the value you bring. But before we get there, I'm interested in this idea of biorhythms, right? One of the things I always thought is, oh, when I stop working as much, I'm going to sleep late, like things are going to change. And as I go further and further, my biological clock has actually returned to waking up at around five every morning, even on the weekends. And having a fairly intensive schedule, did the same thing happen with you? Did you end up sleeping in and taking it easy or did your kind of body reassert itself? No, I I think I I kept a similar to more regular schedule. I've been an early riser for a very long time. I think it started in grad school and it just got worse, if you will, over time. It just became a little earlier. Um, But uh, I routinely wake up around 5 a.m. I think the thing that has changed the most is the regularity. So I don't wake up, you know, early, earlier than that, at nearly at the frequency I used to. I know some of that comes with aging, but, you know, there were times where I was working and I'd wake up at four, I might wake up at three or three thirty, you know, and, and wake up thinking about stuff, things that are going on at work or other times it's totally unclear why I'm up so early. That happens far less frequently now. Um, so I would say that that piece of things that, you know, the, the keeping of a schedule and weekends versus weekdays, that's kind of, you know, there, there's nothing there short of, you know, I wake up early and I continue to wake up early and sleep about the same amount of time, but more uh, properly, I think. You set an alarm in the morning? I don't. Did you used to? I only did if I had flights to catch or, you know, essential you know, early meetings or things to do, like, you know, t- taking my, t- uh, you know, kid to school. I've never you- been an alarm person. Do you ever find yourself bored? Like you went from having something to do at least nine to five, probably eight to six, most days of the week. And then you had to fit everything else into the other times. All of a sudden you have all this time ever any boredom. Never. Honestly, I I still feel like there's so much I want to do and I have to be pretty smart about trying not to take too much on because I I found I was doing that early on uh, in my first year of after retiring. And that's just silly (laughs) pressure put on myself. Uh, No, boredom is not a word that comes up uh, often out of my mouth. Jason is a retired scientist and biotechnology executive. After working for 23 years, he achieved his financial independence, retire early goals and left the workplace. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. 
The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We're talking to Jason. He's the host of the Two Sides of Phi podcast, and we are discussing life after retirement. He left the workplace at the age of 47. Jason, let's talk about purpose. Often, whether we mean to or not, our work becomes our main sense of purpose. And then if we have any time left over, it becomes our family. When you leave your job, you are stepping away from traditionally how people find meaning in the world. Did you first worry about the sense of having a sense of purpose after you left work? Or was that not top of the of your mind? Honestly, it wasn't top of mind. I mean, certainly I felt fulfilled by my job and always felt like I felt best when the work I was doing to me felt like I was bettering something for humanity, for the world, for, you know, human health, whatever it was, but not that I defined my identity uh, based on that. I mean, certainly, yes, I had an identity that I felt as a scientist or as a, you know, a biotech, uh, you know, contributor, et cetera, but I didn't feel like it was my purpose. Um, so that, that didn't really worry me as much as I know it does many people. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it's, it's accurate. Do you feel purposeful today and why or why not? I do. Um, I mean, I try to be pretty intentional in what I do. I mean, I, I haven't sort of, you know, mentally force ranked the the things that I think define my purpose, but I don't think they're anything surprising, right? It's to be a good parent, to be a good partner, to be a good family member, to try to uh, have fulfilling relationships and hopefully in, in both directions benefit and, and cause benefit to others. And uh, to learn what I can about this world and and be fulfilled by it and be uh, excited and enthusiastic about the pursuit of knowledge and experiences. Um, I, I view all those things to be part of my purpose and what motivates me. Any hankering to change the world? Because it sounds like at least early on in your career, there was this idea like I can do these important things that have an impact on the world. How does that feel now after you've stepped away from traditional work? 
Not in a grandiose sense. I mean, certainly, I love the idea of leaving positive impact on the world and certainly avoiding negative impacts on others and 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 on the world. I try to live thoughtfully and try to, you know, be positive in my approach. You know, the, all that said, if I came upon an idea that I was excited about and and thought it had legs, you know, whether it's a a small thing that I could kind of, you know, work on and then hand over to others more capable or even partner with others to bring to life, I would do it. Uh, you know, I, I don't, to me, you know, fire is pretty simple. It's about the freedom to choose what to spend time on and, and resources and hours on. And, you know, I've said this before, I'm not averse to the idea of work. If I suddenly came to this idea that I was thrilled by, yes, I would have to evaluate it in the context of what it would mean for everything else I want to do in life. But particularly if it's something that was, you know, self-driven, you know, I'm not at all averse to the idea of doing something, but I'm not seeking some ultimate purpose that I can get behind and put resources into. But I'm I'm open to whatever the universe decides that uh, will be interesting to me. What about making money? You ever get the hankering to have an income again? Um, I would, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that little kind of bug is always there. Um, and that, I think that largely comes from security and comfort. It's not about accumulation or, you know, comparing to someone else's, you know, pile of doubloons. It's more like, you know, early, let me tell a story early on after retiring, I thought I'd be interested in doing consulting. Um, I've gotten to the point in my career where I have a lot of knowledge that's very interesting to many people. And the the thought of being able to control my time yet still contribute to the the family coffers seemed attractive and also a way to, you know, to keep excited and motivated. And I did get offers right away and had some earnest phone calls with people. But what I found happening inevitably uh, after doing this several times was that at the end, I just wasn't interested enough, despite the promise of a real amount of money at my own scheduling. I just felt that it wasn't what was really interesting. And I realized, thankfully, that it was going to compete with all the other things I wanted to do. And so I pulled back from that instantly. Now, I have been open to certain types of kind of brief engagements in consulting. So there's these kind of expert networks. I don't know if they cross into medicine or not. I suspect they do um, where, you know, I'll get a request to talk for an hour on a topic with people interested in, uh, you know, uh, an area in which I have knowledge. And I'll take those because I can earn in an hour a, a decent amount of money that feels very guilt free. Right. It has no strings attached to it. I've used some of those to purchase some, um, you know, guilty pleasures or to go visit, you know, friends without the family, um, you know, things like that. But, you know, no, I don't feel pressure specifically to go out and earn. I do do a one day a week part time job that I've done for about two and a half years. Uh, and that is uh, working in a winery tasting room. So I'm a wine educator, teach people about wine, answer their questions, pour wine for them, hopefully sell them wine. It's good for <laughs> the owners. But um, for me, that's largely not been about income. It's been about it's kind of scratching that itch to to be an educator, something I have been on and off throughout my career, and certainly as a graduate student. Um, 
enjoying working in an area that personally is interesting to me. Um, it was an excuse to go get some certifications in an area that I wanted to learn more about anyway. And there's a lot of, you know, tangible benefits too, such as, you know, discounts on, on wine, something my wife and I enjoy and the opportunity to network with, um, other people in the field. I've met a lot of winemakers and others in the business and living in an area that has a lot of wine and a lot of vineyards. That's just kind of a cool way to be introduced to a new part of the world that I now live in. So, um, but that, given the the rate of earnings on that compared to what I could make from consulting, it's, it's such a small percentage. This is not a well-paid vocation, uh, to be quite honest. But I get, I get a lot of joy out of it uh, and fulfillment. And yes, it is a scheduled thing that at times... Uh, I have to, you know, shirk those responsibilities in advance and ask for time off so I can travel uh, as I do. But uh, I have found it to be a great mix of the freedom I want, but also scratching a few itches. Has the fear of running out of money disappeared? I wouldn't say disappeared. I would say has. Well, let me let me rephrase that. I've never had an overt fear of running out of money. I'm definitely a measure 20 times, cut once kind of person, admittedly, to a fault. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a spreadsheet jockey, always have been. Um, and so I had done a lot of work going into crossing the line of retirement. There was a point in my life where I did work with financial advisors. I do not anymore. I'm, I'm totally DIY. But I had done a lot of pre-work. And then after retiring, I still ended up doing a lot more. Uh, some of that was stuff for the show, for Two Sides of Fi. Some of it was just answering questions I had and doing a little research and digging in. I still enjoy that piece of the community very much. Um, and all that did was to help me have, be even more confident in the plan I already have. I haven't made any big shifts. So I would say I think about it less than I did before. But, you know, uh, like many people, I think I do wonder at times about black swan events and things like that. But I also think that I'm forearmed at this point with enough knowledge that I wouldn't call it worry. But it is a thought that does manifest sometimes. Sure. What do you do when people ask you what you do for a living? I mean, it happens to me all the time. You're in a social situation. <laughs> yeah. People are like, so what do you do? What do you tell them? That answer has changed a lot over time. In the very beginning, I told everybody I consulted. And part of that was living in a new area, fearing, you know, being off-putting in any way to people, feeling a little guilt about being, you know, still, uh, you know, relatively young and not working. Um, I had difficulty being earnest about that conversation and, and you know, struggled to just say I'm retired and, and did a few times and, and didn't have it, you know, the reaction that I would have liked to it. Um, but over time, I started to say more things about who I was. I, I say things like, you know, I work part time as a wine educator and I'm a content creator in the personal finance uh, space. And then if they ask more questions, I'm very open to it. Um, there have been times where I say I'm retired, but I think I, I do gauge my try to gauge my audience and, and see what's an appropriate level of engagement. It actually comes up in the tasting room fairly often. And maybe it's because I can't help myself and I've made some scientific point, something about the genetics of, of grapes or something about winemaking that kind of provokes a question about, well, what did you do before this? So then it can come up organically. Uh, and then where the conversation goes really depends upon the person, whether they actually care <laughs> to know more. But I enjoy now talking about the content creation piece as well as the wine piece. And so those are parts of my identity at this point. And so they generally are part of how I talk about what I do now. 
One thing that hits me, and I, I definitely realized this when I pulled away from work, is you ever feel like the world is not really created for people like us that retire early? I mean, if you think about it, if you retire a traditional age, A, most of your friends are retiring, right? So you can spend time with them and there's no question, what are we doing at 11 in the afternoon? We're going out to lunch because yeah. we're all finished working. We're all together. There are retirement communities, right? They're this idea that we need to have things in society that help older people stay engaged and meet people. But there are none of those resources for young people. And since a lot of us are the only ones we know doing this, there are not a lot of people around. Did you ever feel like it was just a little more difficult because it's a non-traditional path? Yeah, uh, I think you made some excellent points there. And it is still such a small minority of people who are doing this. Uh, and certainly the the math of that works out to be that, you know, most of us know very few people in real life, as we say, that are doing this. And, and I think that is, you know, it, it caused a lot of people to struggle and still does. But I think it's also why so many of us are drawn to communities and why we find it so rewarding to, you know, whether it's on Reddit or in the community for a given podcast or YouTube channel, um, we find so much value and getting to finally connect with others who are doing this. And I think that's going to change. I mean, at least thinking about the audience who consumes my content, a healthy percentage of them are in their 20s uh, or early 30s at latest. You know, there's kind of two distributions in our in our audience. And I find the former so fascinating because they're so well-informed and they're being so intentional with what they do because they have found each other and they are um, engaging and interacting about these topics because most of them don't know anybody in their real life and certainly not at work or in their family. And so it's kind of like for many of them, I feel like they're living two lives. And it's it's also why I found it, I found it so unexpectedly rewarding to engage with this community and just have the chance to hear people's questions and talk to them about what they're worried about and share my real experience, just like you do each time you are on your own show here at Earn and Invest, just share experiences because I think we all gain so much from that uh, because you're right. The, the, the standard way that the standard path that we are all mostly following does not include this. And and there is a lot of judgment that many people encounter for even pursuing this as a path. You know, why would you do that? You're wasting your talent. You know, you're not giving back. It's it's greedy. There's there's all these terms that get thrown around because people are largely just reacting to something they don't understand or haven't considered before. Um, and, you know, that that can be difficult for people. As I was about to say, does it feel greedy? Because, I, again, I think one thing we experience is we get to walk around during the day and do pretty much whatever we want. Yeah. And that's strange, I, right? It is. It is. And I I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say I felt guilt about it sometimes. I mean, as I say, I try to do what I can to give back, to volunteer, to, to you know, provide funding for certain people and causes in my life. Um, and that's just not the norm. Um, you know, e even when I consider my work colleagues, many of whom are high earners, um, but have taken different steps. So they, they haven't been as deliberate in their saving, or maybe they haven't achieved the same level of compensation or, you know, savings rate that that I did. But then there are others, you know, whether they're family members or what have you, it's just a completely different scenario. 
different set of opportunities. And, you know, it's, it's something that Eric and I on two sides of five have tried to speak to many, many times because we do fear how it comes across. And that is we, we do know that we have had advantages in, in where we were born, having, you know, parents that took care of us and, you know, all, all these things, you know, just go down the list. Yes, it took a lot of hard work and luck, you know, good timing. Uh, they say fortune favors the prepared. Of course it does. But on the same note, it's hard, I think, for at least for me, and, and I don't mean to speak for others, not to feel guilt sometimes or feel greedy that we were able to achieve this, are able to do this. And, you know, may, maybe that fuels part of why I get so much enjoyment out of doing what I think I can do to give back. Any regrets about the path you took or how you got to where you are today, specifically when it comes to retirement? You know, I, I that's a difficult question. I, I try to be somebody that doesn't do regret. All of the different paths we took got us to where we got. There's there's no one right path. But certainly there were, you know, sort of micro uh opportunities to, you know, find a better balance between work and personal life. Um, certainly uh, you know, I something my family and I have talked about many times. Uh difficult choices are often made by people who work in fields that have crazy hours or crazy demands being put on them by external forces. Didn't always get that right. I do think I did a lot of things well, and my wife and I together made a lot of good decisions. We didn't practice such extreme lean living and deferred gratification, you know, to try to retire by 35 or 40. I think we struck a reasonably good balance for us and what we wanted to achieve. And I, I do largely feel good about that big picture. I, I think if nothing else, the something that comes to mind is maybe had I been more open about this path with others in my life, maybe I could have lit a spark in someone else sooner that they weren't coming to on their own. And that could positively change someone's own path. Maybe in being concerned about how it would be received made me a little too kind of closed in about it and, you know, didn't really get the opportunity to, to share it with others. You know, it's a good point. Your podcast is named The Two Sides of Fi, right? So you have a lot of listeners who are at the beginning, who are aware of the path, but they're not there yet. And then you have a group of listeners who probably have reached financial independence, much like you have. Do you need to be financially independent to benefit from the mindset? Because a lot of, I think, the things we've talked about today, when we're talking about our time and we're talking about the sense of purpose and we're talking about what we do with ourselves, what we're really talking about is kind of our mindset do you need the money specifically? Is it a required ingredient? Because there's a lot of people out there who just aren't aren't at that place. I don't think so. And this is something I had not thought about so much until the last couple of years. Uh, one of my favorite things about talking to the folks, some of whom are in their early 20s, who are early on this path, is this idea that they are being completely intentional about things that are going to pay off down the road, irrespective of what their, you know, absolute wealth ends up being or what their kind of career path, where it takes them and, and how their own priorities change or resolve over time. Because they are intentionally setting a path, they're taking control over something that most of us, frankly, don't think about until it's too late. They're saving and investing early. They're thinking about what's important to them, their priorities, where they think they want to get to and what life might look like at 40, 50, 60, and so on. I think most of us get so wrapped up in our daily life as parents, as partners, as employees. We focus on all of that. And I'm not saying that's wrong, 
But I think often we don't leave enough room and many of us didn't have a good instruction in personal finance. And so I think if nothing else, there's so much to learn from this community just about good kind of financial discipline practice, you know, you know, thinking, being conscientious about about spending versus saving and investing. I think anybody can benefit from that irrespective of their path. And of course, people who are, you know, very comfortable living a more, you know, what is termed lean fire existence, and many, many people are absolutely with much lower, even, you know, lower than average incomes are clearly showing this is achievable. And and I'm not just referring to Mr. Money Mustache, although there are many, many people like him these days who are doing it. So I certainly usually challenge that idea that people have to be, you know, in tech or in an audience member of the White Coast Investor or or things like this that are tailored, you know, really to serve the high income community. Quite the opposite is what we're seeing. I think the overwhelming majority of the FIRE community are more traditional earners. Jason, I wanted to thank you for being on the show today. As I think about what we talked about, I get stuck on this idea of people who are afraid of this idea of retirement because they don't know what they're going to do with their time. And then I talk to people like you and look at my own experiences and many of the others I know, and I realize that people who are engaged in their lives before retirement tend to be engaged in their lives after retirement. So the big question really is, are you engaged in your life now? And if the answer is no, I don't think what we should tell them to do is go retire because I don't think that's going to solve the problems. I think the better question is, how do we become more intentional about what we're doing today? And then when we happen to have the financial resources, we can pull the trigger and retire and hopefully build lives of meaning and purpose afterwards that fill us up. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you. So let's start first and foremost with what's going on with Two Sides of Phi, what's happening with your podcast. Great. Thanks. Uh, Two Sides of Phi is going great. We had a bit of a summer break that we're still coming out of because my show partner, Eric, uh, is is has been engaged in a really exciting opportunity for his own business, 30 by 40. Uh, and so that has given him the space to really focus on that. Um, and, and so we're very excited to be starting to put out episodes again. Um, we, you can find us on YouTube, uh, and also, uh, as a podcast, uh, or two sides of five.com. Uh, personally, I'm keeping very busy. I'm taking Spanish classes at the local college. Um, I am, so engaged with the personal finance community still and really enjoying being a part-time wine educator. Jason, thank you so much for coming on Earn and Invest today. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Really appreciate it. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I love talking with Jason from Two Sides of Phi about life after early retirement. I often get the question, what do you do with all your time? And as I was talking on the podcast, I actually feel like I have less time than ever. The difference is everything that's on my schedule, I signed up for and I can cancel it at any time. And specifically, 
only the stress that I put on myself is there in my schedule. So most of the things I do now just aren't amazingly stressful. And if they become too stressful, I can just get rid of them. I can mark them off my calendar and they are gone. So how do I fill my time? I thought I'd just tell you about my morning, like an easy, simple way for you to see what it looks like to be early retired. First and foremost, I wake up at about 5 a.m. If you think that all of a sudden you're going to retire and start waking up at 8 or 9 or 10 or whatever time you dream of, that may last for a few weeks. But if your normal body clock is to get up early, you will get up early. So even when I don't have to, I still get up at 5 a.m. on most days. And I start my day. I get up. I have breakfast. After that, I'll exercise for 30 or 45 minutes, do some stretches, jump into the shower, make sure my daughter is awake for school, hang out with her for a little while, and then take her to school. By the time I get back on a day like this morning, I am working on the podcast, right? So this morning, I am recording this part of the show right now where I'm talking to you about my life, but I also have to record an ad. Yes, Earn and Invest is supported by advertisements, and some of those are host-read advertisements, and so I have to record the copy and send it to my advertising group, which is called Airwave Media. So that's what I'm doing right now and how I'm spending my morning. After that, it's a Friday, so I have a weekly meeting with the Stacking Benjamins crew. If you did not know, Joe Salcihai, the host and co-creator, or co-host and co-creator of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, is also part owner of Earn and Invest, but I also work on his podcast, Stacking Benjamins. So we have multiple meetings every week. I have a creative meeting, actually, which is about two hours a week. This is just an all-hands-on-deck, full-team meeting, which is usually 30 or 45 minutes. After that, I'll probably exercise a little more, have lunch, and then I have to sit down and read because for an upcoming podcast episode... I have two books to read, actually, one for one episode, one for another. That's going to take up a lot of my afternoon, as well as I have to arrange Monday's episode. So if you think about it, I go through and I edit each episode. That takes a certain amount of time, usually an hour or two. But then I have to spend another hour arranging it, which means putting in the music, adding in the extra sections like this one, creating a space for the ads. All of that takes time, and so that will be my afternoon. And then this evening, I'm going down to the city to meet an editor for the publishing house that I'm currently working on. If you guys don't know, I'm in the process of announcing that I'm working on my second book. It's going to be all about purpose. It is where taking stock left off. So in taking stock, I say that we have to connect to our sense of our purpose, identity, and connections. And while promoting that book, I got a lot of pushback about how do I find my purpose and maybe I shouldn't have a purpose. And so this book is going to answer all those questions. So I'll be downtown meeting my editor, hanging out, talking about book publishing, and I probably won't be back to six or seven tonight, maybe eight or nine. By the time I get back, I will hang out with my wife and daughter. My daughter's been watching that F1 show on Netflix. Uh, What is it? Drive to Survive. So we're going to be watching that probably an episode or two. And before you know it, it'll be midnight and I'll be going to sleep. That is what a typical day looks like for me. 
post quote unquote retirement? Am I retired? Am I not retired? Will I still work for my hospice company? I work about 10 hours a week. And I forgot to mention all day today, I will be on call for that hospice company. So I'll be getting 10 to 15 texts with paperwork to fill out or questions to answer. But those are things I momentarily do in between other things. So that is what a typical day looks like. Every day has some nuance and some differences. On the other hand, I feel like I have a basic regular schedule when I'm home and not traveling. I tend to do the same things. Reading, exercise, working on my book or working on the podcast, and having meetings for either Stacking Benjamins or Earn and Invest. That is what it looks like. I enjoy most days. I really love this work that I get to do, and I'm just happy to be at this part in my life. So if you're wondering what would you do if you decided to retire early, I assume you will create a new sense of work, something that maybe you don't get paid for, but that you are passionate about and fills you up with a sense of meaning and purpose, and that will expand to take up your days just as it has for me. All right, I leave things running just for a minute or two to continue the conversation as the after show. Anything I didn't ask about, like as you're thinking about retirement, things that surprised you or, or things you couldn't have seen coming, anything we didn't talk about? I mean, we got out one of the things that I think is really important and that I talk about a lot, and it's this idea of actively spending time to do something I did not do to be, uh, to be extremely explicit. And that's think of all the things you get from work that are not financial and that you may miss. Uh, I think it's very easy for all of us to think about all the things we're walking away from. The, the cover pages for TPS reports, you know, annual reviews, just all this mechanical stuff that is exhausting that every job has, that tedium, um, the deadlines, all those things. But very few of us, I think, spend time thinking about the positive things we got from work. Um, and I think there's so much benefit uh, from doing so. And while none of us can know what a thing as big as retirement, a huge life change is until we actually do it, that doesn't mean you can't prepare and think about, well, what am I giving up? And that should naturally be a part of that kind of plus minus calculation we should be doing before big decisions anyway. But I think it's so easy to miss all those intangibles, just like I did. And, you know, earnestly, it took me months before I went to my wife and said, I'm sorry, I've been so tense lately and, you know, kind of snippy. I've recently realized that I've missed all this stuff about work. And I am now realizing there are other ways to get that. And if I had spent some time thinking about, well, how could I get a sense of validation? How could I get the sort of, you know, feeling, uh, you know, motivated by seeing the success of others, you know, all, all these other things that came naturally at work that I just kind of took for granted. Um, I, I think if there's one idea I share most often that I think is the easiest to do, but very few people might do not do otherwise, is this. You know, it, it hits me this idea that we never stop working. Like we, we have this line in the sand, we call it retirement. And after retirement, you become a little bit more money agnostic, right? So yeah. what I'm going to fill my time with now doesn't necessarily have to make money. 
But in a lot of ways, it's no less work, right? Like when you go and you do wine tasting and you educate about it, it's work. Even when you're going to Spanish class on some level, it's work. It's just a, it's a work you totally chose, right? A work that you can cancel or schedule at your leisure. And then of course, a work that you're even sometimes willing to pay money to do as opposed to someone paying you. Um, When you look at it that way, it starts to make things a little easier. If your plan is to be just engaged in different kinds of work, it means your relationships will change, but they may be no less, right? So the um, connection you get from teaching people about wine and the conversations you have, and maybe you see people come back and you have repeat conversations with them, maybe lucky enough, you have even some social time with them. These just be- take the place of those other relationships that were very much based on where, you know, specifically who paid you before. Um, and so it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I work a lot, right. Making a podcast is kind of, you know, writing books. I just yeah. don't look at it kind of with that onerous lens that I would have looked at going to the office and seeing patients, which felt yes. much more stressful and I felt much more of a victim of my circumstances. Whereas now I feel like I control my circumstances, but I'm not really doing less work per se. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I think that where you, where you concluded that statement, Jordan is really important because one of the things that I f- have felt is so freeing in this post RE period has been feeling totally comfortable. And I'm not saying this started instantly, but it came pretty quickly feeling comfortable trying a lot of things and not fearing that I will just put them down and that's okay. You know, yes. And some of those cost money, right? You know, I, I spent time getting, uh, you know, my part 107 certification to be a commercial drone pilot because I wanted to use, you know, that type of videography for the show and maybe do some kind of fun side projects with it. But, you know, other than using it occasionally for the show, and we actually got rid of that part of the pre-roll, so we don't even do that anymore uh, on YouTube, uh, you know, it's just a fun thing. So I don't need that licensor. All that time I spent getting certified, tested, signed off, the cost of the licenses, uh, you know, does it matter in the big picture financially? It does not. It does not move the needle. It's not a downside. I, I think I've gotten better about the idea of sunk cost. And not feeling, you know, kind of controlled by it because most of these things are not big expenses. Taking a class isn't a big expense. Yes, your time is worth something, but when you're the one directing how you spend your time, there's no one to blame but yourself. And and I don't view it as a negative, so there is no blame. It's just I wanted to try a thing. I tried it. I don't know what it's going to lead to, but for now, I'm setting it aside. And app development was like that. I spent four to five months, you know, working hard, spending hours and hours in several different courses, and then spending time developing and getting apps written, approved, you know, and and made public. And I haven't done a thing with it in more than a year at this point. And that feels okay to me. Yeah, there's, um, I, I have lots of theories about this. Um, but we sometimes forget that purpose and joy don't have to be goal oriented, right? They're process oriented. So, you know, I would look at things like that and said, but you were really engaged and excited about doing it. And you had all these big plans and it actually increased your joy and felt meaningful while you were doing it. I don't know if it really matters what what the what the product came out of that. Right. It, it doesn't matter if like you built an app that changed the world or you decided apps weren't for you and moved on. Yeah. If you found some real engagement and joy in the process of learning about it and, and doing that, like that's enough. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know? no, I appreciate that. See, this is why I enjoy talking with you and reading your book mm-hmm. is because sentiments like this, they they really resonate with me. Uh, I, my uh, my friend Eric is similar in that respect. Uh, one of the analogies I, that I'll li- I've lifted from him uh, and I'm attributing to him is this idea that, you know, when you're trying on something, when you're trying to do something new, it's like, you know, you've kind of opened a door in a room and that room contains a bunch more doors. And this particular thing may lead you to a thing that leads you to another that takes you to somewhere different. I found my career to be like that. And so why can't hobbies be the same way? Hobbies and interests, right? And so I have a much lower bar now to try something, to spend a little money on a course or my time. You know, I tried to take an art class at the same college last year, got a month or five weeks into it, decided it wasn't for me, not because I didn't like the art, but I didn't like the format. It was remote. I wasn't getting the type of instruction that I thought I wanted. Doesn't mean it wasn't a bad course. My wife stuck with it and did it uh, and enjoyed it. I wasn't. And so I, yes, I spent a little bit of money. I think it might've been $140 with the (laughs) cost of community college courses, but you know, my time is worth something and I didn't stick with it. And I feel okay about that. Other things have led me to other pursuits that I'm still enjoying today. So uh, I love this idea of getting joy from something and maybe it doesn't go anywhere besides that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think once we let go of the goal, like it just yeah. serves us a lot more, right? Because again, that's perfect. You kind of, especially in this kind of post fire life, where like, you just the goals aren't don't have I, I think goals can be toxic anyway, right? Regardless yeah, of whether you're working or not. Um, but I think as you get to the point where you're post retirement, post fire, you start realizing that these goals actually aren't the point. Yes. And if they were the point, you either attain that goal or you don't. And either way, you feel bad, right? Because when you attain the goal, you're like, okay, what's the next goal? Because now I'm back on the treadmill of like, I got to achieve, got to achieve. <laughs> or you fail and then you're like, this feels bad. Because there's yeah. this thing that I thought was like the end all be all and I didn't make it. Um, whereas if the other way around is to be like, well, I really enjoy doing this thing. I might make the goal. I might not. Um, but if I, it still is worth my time to show up and I still find this to be fulfilling, then who cares? And when it stops being fulfilling, you move on. Yeah, it's 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 such a great way to put it. Um, I, I think I one thing I have realized is that I need to be pretty thoughtful about setting goals. I have found, you know, I still enjoy setting goals. And I think it was Fritz Gilbert from Retirement Manifesto uh, and another another audience member who told me like, yeah, think about it. It's like your career. Your, your career is built on setting goals and achieving yeah. or beating them. So it's not surprising you still want to do them. But for now, they tend to be things that are that are healthier and are very much about me and nobody else. So, you know, I like going on long walks and hikes. And so over the last, you know, year, they've gotten progressively longer. And just a couple of weeks ago, I decided, well, I want to walk to, you know, the shore. Uh, Okay, that's 30 miles. All right, well, let's do that. There's there's nothing coming from that. There's no no big Mm -hmm. outcome. It was just I enjoy these long walks. I've done a marathon a few times. Well, how about 30 miles? So we'll do that instead. And uh, that was great. But uh, it, it didn't, nothing materially would have changed had I not achieved it. It wasn't something that I had to invest in other than the time spent that I would have enjoyed if it was 28 miles. And so I'm still setting goals, but I think they're they're very yeah. personal in nature at this point. Yeah, I like it. So I, I'm writing a lot about this right now. So I've done a lot of very deep thinking about this. But yeah, this this okay. idea of being goal agnostic, but not goal phobic, right? 
So we can pursue things that we enjoy the process of doing. And at the same time, we can set up goals. Um, but we, on some level, I think, have to be happy. You have to be somewhat goal agnostic. Whether I reach the goal or not probably won't truly change my life. But yeah. I kind of have fun setting up this goal. And if I get there, great. And then if I don't, I still enjoyed the process of walking 26 miles instead of 30. And that was good enough, right? Right. Um, no, I really like that. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That I think goals are very... This 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 probably doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but in my mind, goals are very scarcity mindset oriented because you either succeed or you don't. And often, especially in the bigger audacious goals, like either you get it or someone else gets it or there's lots of competition um, yes. and not everyone else and not everyone can win at once. Whereas just enjoying what you're doing or being more process oriented is very abundance focused, right? Because there are a million things you can do and go and love, and it doesn't hurt a single other person. When you go out and walk, like you're enjoying yourself, you're enjoying nature. This is a purposeful, meaningful thing for you to be doing. How abundant is that, right? And there are a million different ways to take walks and there are different million different walks you could take. And that's just one activity. Um, So I think process is very abundance oriented, whereas goal setting is very scarcity oriented. And I think we are taught the exact opposite. We're like, have big, huge goals, right? Abundance, like be a billionaire, cure cancer. And it's like, yeah, but 99% of people are going to fail at that, which means that, that, you know, it's not good in general. Yeah. That's excellent. Well, that's that's something I would definitely welcome reading more about. So that's, yeah, well, it'll uh, I like my, the way you put that. My next book comes out in probably January twenty five. So <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> there you go. I like that. Yeah, I have a date in your head already. That's yeah, perfect. I just I sold the manuscript to a, a publisher, so ah, cool. I am Congrats. I am writing my last chapter now, but it's going to need a lot, and then it's about a year of marketing before they even put it to put before they truly put it to press. So. So cool. I, I still have a book. I, I don't, if I had a good enough concept, I would have already written a book, but I don't. <laughs> so maybe someday. <laughs> it's, it's a unique sort of torture, but it's also like, I, I, I nowadays wouldn't do things unless I truly like really enjoyed doing them. Like I'm trying to practice yes. what I preach. And so the process is incredibly engaging and exciting. And that's what I like about it, but it's, it's a little torture here and there too. That's all I've little ever heard about. Self, so. <laughs> self-flagellation, you know? Yes, exactly. You know? Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.